Everybody knows that millennials, when it comes to philanthropy, are disengaged. Or are they? This is Bill Stanjukevich, and this is the first day from the fundraising school. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Patricia Snell Herzog, who's on the faculty of the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. She has a national and international reputation for her research on a wide range of philanthropic topics, including religion and philanthropy and millennials in philanthropy. And Trish, thanks so much for being with us on this podcast. Thank you for having me. So our school published an article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, The Eight Myths of Philanthropy. And Trisha's myth is that millennials are disengaged, or are they? What, what does your research show? Well, basically, I, I question some of the measures that we have mm -hmm. for tapping into whether or not people uh, of the millennial generation are engaging in philanthropy. Um, first, I, I take the kind of expansive definition of philanthropy. So I like to think of philanthropy as not just giving money, but also giving time, uh, engaging in political action, uh, you know, all kinds of efforts that are um, focused on benefiting the public good. And so when we take that more expansive approach, First of all, we see that millennials are engaged in a range of different types of activities that are motivated to, to help others. Um, and one of the kind of key differences that's happened uh, for the millennial generation as the first generation to grow up entirely online mm -hmm. um, is the, the ability to engage in philanthropic actions that aren't necessarily through a formal organization. Or if they are through a formal organization, that may not be obvious to the person engaging online. They might not see the way that the, the formal organization is, is participating in organizing the activities. So when we look at the kinds of measures that we've used over time to track, for example, volunteering or um, donating to charitable causes, the word organization is often embedded in the question. And so if people are engaging online and they are not thinking of that action as tracking through an organization, even if it does on the back end, then we might be seeing, you know, kind of a false set of decline measures. Um, but when we take out the word organization, we often have to reword the entire question, uh, which is a, a, a big problem for the kinds of data sets that are tracking trends over time. Because, of course, if you change the question wording, then you lose the ability to compare year after year. So there's a measurement issue. So our school's definition of philanthropy is voluntary action for the public good. And at the fundraising school, we teach action can mean three things. The giving of dollars, the giving of time, but also, very broadly speaking, the giving of voice, advocacy, uh, creating an event, getting the petition signed, you know, being involved with the cause in that way. And it sounds like what you're saying through your research, you're seeing the millennials showing up up in that third category. Am I understanding you correctly? That's right, yeah. And we also know, and I, I wonder if there's some overlap with your research on religion, when you talk about that word organization, we know that millennials tend not to be joiners of those traditional organizations, whether it's religious congregations, whether it's those traditional service clubs, the Rotary, Kiwanis, and so forth. Is there an overlap here? Is it the same type of thing that we're not seeing millennials in the more traditional forms of philanthropy in the ways we've maybe understood that in the past? Absolutely, that's correct. So for example, when you look at measures of religiosity, you can look at what I call social measures. Participating in religious services is one of the most common ways of, of taking a social measure of religiosity. But you can also look at personal measures, like importance of faith is another very common 
common measure. And what you see when you look over time for young people, um, and also in trends over time across generations, is that importance of faith in the United States context remains incredibly high. It's in the ballpark of 80%. Mm. Um, say that, they're, that they have a high degree of importance of faith in terms of faith mattering in their everyday life. But, um, but when you look at religious service attendance and other social measures, you see a steep decline. And so the same type of phenomenon perhaps is happening in the nonprofit sector writ large, and that people, if they care about their faith, maybe they're not in a congregation, they care about a cause, mm -hmm. but maybe they're not engaged with it's a specific nonprofit. Is that accurate? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what's a nonprofit to do? If the, our wonderful millennials are kind of more identified with causes than organizations, mm -hmm. how do the organizations meet them there? I think, well, I think there are a number of exemplary organizations that have kind of tapped into this generational um, change. And, and when I look at websites that I think are, are nailing it in terms mm -hmm. of their appeal to millennials, it's when they put the cause first. Um, and if you think about a lot of organizational websites, this is kind of counter to how most of them work. They describe the organization. It's usually an about page that you come to that describes the organization, often, oftentimes even the organizational history on the first landing page. And that doesn't seem to be, you know, fitting with this trend mm. in terms of appealing to millennials. So it's not taking that information away, but, but not maybe having that be the landing page where people come in and instead of focusing on the cause, focusing on um, how this individual can get engaged in helping directly, and then having the organizational information there in the back pages where people can go to find it as they get increasingly involved. So lead with the cause when you're lead communicating and reaching out. As you well know, our school and, and many other colleagues in the field uh, have identified some other factors about people that tend to predict philanthropic behavior. Mm -hmm. Things like marriage, parenthood, home ownership. Well, millennials, if they get married, they're doing so much later in life. If they're becoming parents, they're doing so much later in life. If they own a home, they're doing so much later in life. Is this factoring in as well in terms of how we understand millennials philanthropically? Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought that up. I refer to these as the, mark as the markers of adulthood. Mm. Um, and when you look at every single kind of marker of adulthood, we see that people are entering into those later in life. And so one of the, the key kind of tangles when we think about generations is also the overlap with life course development. Mm -hmm. And so people have articulated the, that there's a new life stage that has actually come in between adolescence and young adulthood, which is referred to as emerging adulthood, where people are taking a decade even more to launch into these adulthood markers. And so when what, what gets hard is that if we look at a particular age, like let's say 25-year-olds, okay. Um, 25 year olds today are now in this emerging adulthood life stage, whereas 25 year olds three decades ago were in young adulthood. And so what we might be tapping into is more that people are likely to engage in philanthropic activities once they have more of these adulthood markers established, in which case we actually need to track back to 35, 40 year olds mm -hmm. to find the same kind of adulthood markers as 25 year olds from a few decades past. So be patient wait as these adulthood markers that take maybe a little bit longer with this generation than compared with others. Also, what about the wealth effect of giving in this particular generation? And I'm specifically wondering about college debt. We hear that so often because we are the fundraising school. So eventually we do need to talk about the cash donation, wealth donation mm -hmm. side of, mm -hmm. of philanthropic behavior. And uh, we hear so much about college debt, millennials having college debt. And you know that wealth effect of giving is that when people have more money, they spend more money. But when people have more money, they also have more money to donate. 
Is college debt a reason we're not seeing millennials active with the financial giving side of philanthropic behavior or not so much? I absolutely think that that can be part of it. And just more generally, that the the hope of taking on college debt is that it translates to an income that helps mm -hmm, pay that mm -hmm. back. And so that relates to what we were just talking about in the sense that with the, the baby boom generation living longer, you know, taking uh, positions in the workforce for more years, there has been uh, a slower track into substantial income career paying types of positions for young people. So I think, you know, that relates to this kind of be patient because I think once once enough income is generated, the debt um, can have that return on investment, so to speak. But if that takes longer, then there might be more years that young people are not really able to uh, afford to give in any kind of major substantial way. And I know this isn't necessarily easy advice for a right. lot of organizations, but I do think that being able to bring donors in in small donation amounts, also engaging them in other forms of activities like volunteering and action, and kind of just meeting them where they're at can be that stepping stone um, into later larger donations once they're able to afford it. Trish, that is great advice to summarize for nonprofits what they can do to meet millennials where they are, to engage them in their interest in causes, provide them with opportunities to volunteer. Let's not leave out the small gifts. The two and three figure gifts have long been a staple of fundraising for the base of our pyramid. Uh, and even if the millennials are not ready to donate financially yet, there are other ways that you can engage with them and be patient over time. And let's not leave them off of our boards of directors either. Uh, we know we often want to attract people to our boards who are well established in the community, who have a big contact list or Rolodex and maybe have accumulated some wealth already. Even if the millennials don't fit those last uh, uh, kind of descriptions of, of where people are in terms of their season of life, uh, we can still bring them to the table for their unique perspective for their contacts and for their passion for the cause. Uh, as you can see from Dr. Snell Herzog, this is the quality of our faculty. This is who you will learn from if you sign up for our academic programs. For example, our master's degree is now available entirely online. So anywhere in the United States, the world, maybe even the International Space Station, you could take our master's degree and we're happy to share more information with you about that. Dr. Snell Herzog, also a well-respected researcher in all of our school's research, is available on our website as well. Now, in terms of professional development and executive education, that's where the fundraising school comes in. We also have customized training specifically for your organization, your association, your region. And of course, we have quarterly webinars and these free weekly podcasts. All of this information is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. I'm Bill Stanjakavich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the fundraising school.